exactly. And, and that kind of goes back to our, um, the other couples that I've seen, so in addition to this, the heterosexual couples, but my couples um, who are poly or in open relationship or open marriages, where it's, it's just that. It's the lack of communication, um, the trust and the boundaries that were broken. That we said we were going to do this and you stepped outside of that. That was my guest on today's show, Dr. Alicia Rohr. She's an LMFT out of Marietta, Georgia. And today is part two of our discussion on how we treat infidelity. So as you can tell from that uh, tidbit, um, we both see couples that would uh, probably, from a mainstream standpoint, be non-traditional. But these kind of couples deal with infidelity as well. So stay tuned. Um, It's going to be very informative. Uh, You're listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. Relationships and You, hosted by Toby Jenkins, a licensed marriage and family therapist serving Central Kentucky. Each week, Toby will bring you a show with a topic related to mental health, relationships, or self-improvement. The name of the show, Paradigm, comes from that moment in the therapy process when a profound shift in perspective happens for a client. An epiphany, sometimes accompanied by physical reaction that leads them to look at things differently and make significant steps towards improving and enriching their lives. You are listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships in You. Today, my guest and I, Dr. Alicia Rohr, are talking about treating infidelity as a therapist. So, um, you know, we, we said earlier that no infidelity is the same, but um, so we're going to try to kind of talk through, we're going to take an, so to speak, average uh, couple that has infidelity. Um, typically husbands are cheating more often than wives. So let's take a typical scenario where you have a couple that's uh, coming to you, the husband has cheated and they want to work through it. So um, what, what's kind of the, if you have like a framework approach, kind of what's your framework and what are you trying to achieve or, or move them to? Um, I typically want to move them toward, toward trust. How do we rebuild trust and become more vulnerable? Um, so the, the first thing I'm looking at is how do we establish safety? Um, what does that look like? So I have to have a safe place for the husband to talk about how the fair, um, how the fair started, what was going on, um, and also room for the wife to talk about um, um, the process for her and what that was like for her. So how do we establish the safety, address the painful emotions that were going on, if there's any traumas, if there's childhood traumas or past traumas for relationships, those things also needs to be addressed um, during the beginning part of, um, of treatment as well. As I said before, discussing how the affair started so that we can have insight so that doesn't happen again, mm-hmm. right? 
but maybe it could be part of that. It would start it because of this transition or this life cycle change that was happening. That needs to be noted. Um, if there are some biological or medical things that were going on, that needs to be noted. Um, and then we're going to understand the vulnerabilities. So what were some of the things that, um, that led to that? So each person can take accountability for their part. And that part can be pretty, pretty touchy for the wife. We'll say, hey, I didn't cheat. He mm -hmm. cheated. So why do I have to <laughs> for my part? I didn't do anything. Um, but that's part of that, that, that the part where she can say, well, there were parts um, where I wasn't as available or I um, had this suspicion and I, or this feeling and I didn't come and, I, and talk to them about it, whatever that is. But yeah. she has accountability for her part and the same thing for, um, for him. So I have a question for you. So we uh, typically, uh, we, we position that men cheat for different reasons than women cheat. So um, is your approach different if the wife is cheated or the female partner is cheated? It's typically the same. Now I do explain, I think this is where we kind of differ as far as like the reasons why men and women cheat. So if I see the husband cheating, the husband who cheats, um, typically it's the, this is a physical, or it was just sex. It didn't mean anything. Um, I just need to get my sexual need met, right? Mm -hmm. You were all bagging and this person gave me maybe some attention and it was just sex, right? Yeah. For the woman, it, it, I, I, I tend to see it as, um, somewhat similar. This person is giving me attention and my emotional needs, but it was more of an emotional connection that happened first. And then it led to something more physical. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, we, <laughs> so we have disagreed in between takes about this. Um, yeah. And so my take on it is that, um, that men cheat for emotional reasons, not, and even that physical thing traces back to an emotional need. Now, traditional thinking, at least from a therapy standpoint, is that women cheat when they are getting out of the relationship or improving or getting into a better relationship and that um, men cheat for just for because it's available often and yeah. they kind of stumble into it. Um, I've been... Um, I've been moved by the data recently in some of the work of uh, like uh, Peggy Ornstein, who's uh, she's a, an author and um, she did some work with uh, women in the hookup culture. And um, with the trend going back from going back to the birth control pill and no fault divorce, things have gradually changed for women. And what you find from the data is that um, women are cheating for more of the same reasons that men have, have traditionally cheated uh, with people they work with um, because they're spending a lot of time there and for many of the same reasons that men have cheated historically. It's available, they have the opportunity, et cetera. So, you know, going back to um, what I, my experiences in marriage ministry, I believe that um, that when men cheat because of how our society is structured, there's some kind of, uh, all right, I kind of expected this because that's what men do. And so I, when men cheat, often see it as a breach of trust. What I see both from my research and, and what I'm looking for when I work with couples, when, when wives cheat, is that men say, I'm not good enough which is why I think they latch on to the physical, 
experience or have the intrusive thoughts of the actual sexual activity. And so it's, it, I find it way harder to convince a man that he is worthy and good enough after his wife has slept with someone else. Whereas trust is easier to, easier to rebuild. And so that's one of the first things I'm probing for when I work with couples who work with their infidelity. Is this a trust thing? Is it, self, is it self-worth? Or what are some of the other possible themes that are going on? Um, and I'm a fan. Now, are you a fan of like when it's, when it's a betrayal of trust? I'll, I'll, I'll tell couples, yeah, look at his phone every day. <laughs> I mean, whatever it takes for you to rebuild trust. To rebuild the trust. And I think it's going to be different between those lowest cost behaviors and high cost behaviors that um, Abra Springs talks about in the, uh, the book After the Affair. Um, so what are those low cost behaviors that you need to be doing? Um, so it could be tell me uh, the way I look or call me every day. I need to check the text messages or the phone logs or things like that. And then those high cost behaviors, meaning we may have to physically move someplace else. So I need you to change a job change or jobs, yep. things in order to set those clear boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you do so that I can trust you again? Yep. So I think it is important to look at those um, low cost and high cost behaviors that she talks about. Um, to rebuild the trust. And that person, I tell the person, you have to do it. I mean, that's a part of the rebuilding trust. I mean, yes, you may not want to, but um, if you want to, if this is a demonstration that's going to help them, then um, do it. Yeah. Oh, and that, you know, we didn't say this, but um, eliminate all contact with the other person. Yes. I've seen multiple situations where they don't do that. And not only does it it just kind of triggers the injury over and over again. Also, I think uh, people tend to be vulnerable with someone they've had this salacious affair with because, um, you know, if you take the judgment away, affairs are exciting. I mean, you're sneaking around, no one knows, it's high intensity, and there's some dynamics there that we're we're really uncomfortable talking uh, about. Um, And these are some of the conversations I've had with couples where um, a person who cheated doesn't want to admit that they had feelings for other person. Um, exactly. Like, yeah, you did. And it's quite possible you love this other person and you loved your wife. It's quite possible. It's quite possible. Um, and so, yeah. I'm sorry. So I'm going to go back to limiting the content with the person and then having that be a process that you do together yes. as opposed to, well, I cut them off. I told them never to call again, but then you change their number to or change their name to something that's on your phone and now you're being sneaky again so how do you have a joint process and let's I'm going to tell this a person that I'm done with them and set the boundary and have that other person be a part of that process that's going to secure the relationship as opposed to well I did it yesterday or I did it while you were asleep no I need to be a part of that yeah that's very very important um you know, and we mentioned eliminating, eliminating contact with the other person. And it's, it's nice if you have the agency or flexibility to change a job, but not everybody does. Right. Um, and so if you can't, that creates other unique challenges um, that make recovery difficult. Um, so if you can eliminate, you definitely should eliminate, do everything possible to eliminate contact with, the, with this other person. 
Exactly. Um, hmm. There are a couple other things you mentioned that um, you, you use the term ownership. Now, with my background, I tend to look at things in a, as a process. And so, you know, during the break, uh, I was saying there's things I always end up saying when I work with couples in infidelity. And one of the things I actually say to many couples, not just working through infidelity, uh, but in general, is that um, there's no place for fairness in your relationship. And people look at me and say, that's crappy. Well, it's true. Um, and I also think the feeling of love is way overrated. Um, <laughs> and so from that standpoint, you mentioned the ownership piece. And this is the part where it gets unfair. So, and to be more clear about that, there are parts about the breach or the other relationship that both people have to take ownership for. And then if you can incorporate that in your current relationship, that's the part that doesn't feel fair. That's the part where other, where the offended partner says to me, BS, this is not fair. I shouldn't have to do that. Um, I have not seen any other way to kind of move. Have you? (laughs) No, I haven't. I haven't. But that's the real truth that the other person has to say. I thought I was just, you know, calling you so that you can point the finger at him because he did the affair, he did the cheating, he needs to apologize, he got to do the work, but it's both of you guys, and you yep. have part of it as well, and part of that is, is is looking in the mirror and taking accountability for your parts or part in it. And you may not be ready to do that in the beginning and the after when we're initially dealing with it, but it's a part of the process that goes into rebuilding. Well, you know, we're up against a commercial break. I'm going to leave a cliffhanger here. The cliffhanger is that, um, and I'll, I'll ask you this, um, the offended spouse is subject to what I call PT, PTSD, meaning they can be triggered by any number of things after this affair happens. And so we come back, we're going to talk about How do you deal with this in helping the couple recover? We'll be right back after this break. This is Toby Jenkins, founder of Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy is a proud sponsor and supporter of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. At Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy, we work with couples, families, and individuals walking with you through life's challenges and transitions. You can find out more about Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and request an appointment through telehealth or in person at www.jenkinscft.com or by calling 859-806-0093. And we are back. You're listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. Today, um, we're talking about therapy for infidelity. And so before the break, we're, we were talking about... Um, the offended spouse having PTSD. And um, this is how I would define it. And this is probably one of the more trickier, um, trickier aspects of helping couples recover. And essentially, um, the offended spouse can be triggered to have a memory of, the, of being cheated on by any number of things. It can be sights, it can be smells, it can be locations, it can be hearing that other person's name, it can be, um, um, the list is unlimited. And so when I've worked with couples in particular, um, there's a, 
there's a, an aspect of when we've hurt someone else that we way underestimate how much that other person is hurting. And so how I like to position this to couples is that the spouse who stepped out has to be acknowledge that they caused it mm-hmm. and then be the comforter at the same time exactly. and have abundant patience. And so I often get asked, well, how long is this going to go on? And I said, well, it could go on forever and you're going to have to be open and responsive and nurturing while acknowledging that you caused this at the same time. And that is really difficult to do. Um, <laughs> and so that gets into, you know, I said earlier, um, I try to get couples to accept the fact that um, uh, fairness really doesn't have a role in this. If you want this to work, then um, you have to be check fairness at the door. So that's my approach to PTSD. And I'm very open to any uh, better approaches you may have to how couples, how you work with couples through this kind of aspect of recovery. Yeah, well, somewhat similar. You're talking about the triggers. I have couples to discuss the triggers that they're already aware of right now. And Mm -hmm. then talk about um, when things happen in the moment that I didn't realize that I would be triggered by this song or this place. Um, and then talk about it at that, at that point, but go with what we know. I'm, I'm triggered by their certain television shows, or we always go to Jamaica for our, you know, annual, you know, summer vacation. We may not be able to go to Jamaica this year. We may have to find new memories, um, that we can attach to this, um, to this situation. So being open to that. Um, and I think it's also important for the other person to not have control over those triggers of how can that be a trigger for you? That does not have anything to do with mm-hmm. if it's a trigger, it's a trigger. So how do you sue them um, in the midst of whatever it is that they're going through to see past that? I think that's really hard for some couples where yeah. they're getting triggered by the song or the scent or um, the, the ringtone that was, that was coming up. And that person to say, um, well, here we go again, no, take that to the side because that's your ego speaking and comfort them because it's the same thing and knowing that I have to sue them when they're getting triggered. Now that um, the offended person also have to find ways to sue themselves. So what can I do uh, mm-hmm. to self-soothe? Maybe I need to, to regulate my emotions before I confront my partner about this. I need to find ways that I can sit in it and then talk to them about it. And for the other person to say, okay, this is what you need. Oh, I can see how, you know, that ringtone or um, me not answering the phone call triggered you into thinking that something was happening. Even though I've told you for the seventh time that it didn't, that it, that it hasn't happened, I still need to sue you. Yeah, and that, that goes into uh, validating that other person's experience. Um, and, you know, I always get, uh, I can't say, it. well, yeah, I'll say it. I always get the uh, person who stepped out uh, wanting to understand it. And going back to, you know, we talked about the role of empathy um, the last time you were on my show. And um, what I try to, to coach couples is that it's not important that you understand it. It's important that you validate it and that you empathize. And so um, this could be, a, the other thing I always end up saying um, is that there is gonna be a new normal in your relationship. And one of the aspects of moving on after infidelity is accepting that um, that kind of naivete you may have had early on, that's no longer there anymore. And it's not that 
then your relationship is bad, it can still be very strong and good. It's just going to be different. Um, right. I use this really bad analogy of when, um, <laughs> when I was a kid and I've, I finally understood what a child molester was. It, it made me look at adults differently. <laughs> and I thought, wow, someone would do that to it. Or when I found out what friendly fire was, because friendly fire, the term just sounds so benign. Yeah. It's, it's when in military terms, you shoot your own, you know, your, your own okay. soldiers by accident most yeah. of the time. But, you know, it just kind of uh, changes your perspective on, uh, it kind of takes the glow off a relationship. And so, um, and for some couples, that's really difficult. That is extremely difficult. And so um, from that standpoint, um, the emotional intelligence in developing skills in the partner that stepped out um, is, becomes a major role in therapy. Um, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard wearing those two hats at the same time. Um, because the, the natural tendency I often see, and maybe you see the same thing, is the person who has cheated just wants the other person to get on with it. Why can't we just move on? This yeah. was four years ago. Mm-hmm. Why can't we just move on? And yeah. so, um, you know, that kind of gets into some of the stuff we we're talking about in terms of couples that get better without therapy. My, suspic- my suspicion is that, I think you might have said this earlier, they kind of agree just to move on. Yeah. And kind of not do the deep dive that you might do with therapy. Um, yeah. Um, now, do you see a difference in that, whether it's, um, once again, if uh, the wife has cheated or the husband has cheated in terms of their ability to move on or do that recovery? I do. And I typically see when the man has cheated, um, then the woman is more likely to try to stay and try to fix it, right? Where I was mm-hmm. like, let's, let's go call therapy or let's do something um, so we can fix this relationship. But when a woman cheats, the man is usually, typically I've seen, I'm done. I can't believe you did this. It's the end of the world. I'm not going to um, continue. Or it's a struggle for them to want to continue on because the affair was such a... Um, it was a heartbreak and not just saying this, it's almost, I think that's where I have to get them to see the, um, to be able to empathize and validate each other that I've had couples where both of them have cheated on each other. But when I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> when she cheats, it's, no, let's work on it. Or when, when, when she cheats, he's like, well, I'm done. And when he cheats, it's, well, you know, it was just sex, but you can't minimize the two, right? They're no. Equal. So just as much as you wanted to stay for, for that, you have to be willing to, to, um, to put in the work. Yeah. I, I, um, gosh, when they both cheat, that's just, who. um, now one of my favorite shows is Maury Povich and you see revenge cheating on Maury Povich all the time. Yeah. Um, revenge cheating is not an effective way to help things get better, but you know, you mentioned, um, you know, as you're talking about when the wife cheats, um, I think, I think as men, you know, going back to how I see men interpreting um, infidelity as I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I view men, uh, men as not wanting to, wanting to go to that vulnerable place to address that I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. In an extreme case with a couple I worked with, um, I was going to mention also, there's often a, also one of the things I'm looking for are various forms of retribution. 
And so one of the dynamics I also see is where the person who is the offended spouse, they want to inflict pain, um, especially emotional pain on the person that cheated um, in any kind of way. Um, it can be psychological, it can be physical, it can be withholding. Um, um, one of the more interesting situations I saw uh, where the wife had cheated, where the husband uh, inflicted his retribution in engaging in a sexual activity that his wife did not do with the partner she cheated with. Mm. And um, it took a little while for this to come out, but that's how he was getting even. Well, you did not do this with this person you cheated with, so this is reserved for me. And so I asked her, um, are you getting anything out of doing this? And she's like, no, but I feel like I have to do it because that he'll lead me otherwise. And so I said, well, stop doing it. You know, if um, this is not comfortable, it's not bringing you close together, it's not pleasurable. Um, we need to talk about it and you need to stop doing it because exactly. this is just retribution. Right. right. That level of control, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have control over that. So how can I have control over this? Which is different than um, what can we do to rebuild trust? I need to see your phone, your text messages and things like that or to feel safe and secure. But even then I tell my couples that yes, you need to see those things, but then it's a way in which you go about doing it and how long. You can't just dangle it over their head, you know, that ha ha ha, I got you now. This is a level of control that I'm putting on you where you have to tell me everywhere you go and do this and do that. And it's coming from a place of control versus of a place of this is gonna help me rebuild the trust. So it's just, is this coming from a place of I have control, you're going to reserve this for me, or is this going to help rebuild trust? And it's not because it's inflicting plan on another person. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I had another question for you. One of your first steps was uh, how it started. And so are you of the belief that um, as, the, as the offended spouse, you should learn as much as you want to learn about the affair or um, should some of that information be held back? I think it depends on the person. I want to know as much as they are shared just so I can understand the context of it. Like, okay, how did it, how did it start? Um, but I have some couples of offended spouse that says, I want to know every detail. And okay, here we go. Some people say, nope, I don't want every detail. I'm okay with just the general version of it. So um, I'll leave that to the person to decide how much they want to want to disclose. Yeah, I'm kind of, I, I kind of do very similar. Um, and I, I preface it by, by saying there are some things, if you hear it or know it, you cannot unknow or unhear it. And so it, is it helpful? Is this, is this information helpful for you to reconnect and move forward? And if it is, then, okay, let's go forward with it. But if it's not, you may have to determine, is this really helpful? Because um, it could be triggering, as you were saying, I can't get <laughs> that image or those things out. Now we have another trigger or another trauma that we have to, to go through. Yeah. Um, gosh, I hate to have to take a commercial break here because this is the... <laughs> <laughs> but we come back, we'll jump back into that because I bet we both have stories of um, um, where having an information becomes an impediment to recovery. So, uh, we're talking uh, therapy for infidelity. Um, my guest today is Dr. Alicia Rohr, and we'll be back after this break.
insights into relationships and you, and this is one minute insight. One of the strategies I use with families and couples in particular is parenting with a purpose. Now, the way I like to think about it is that engaging in any activity, especially when it's going to be, take up this big of a chunk in your life and not knowing why you're doing it, will in the, in the day-to-day -day, uh, feel like a waste of time. I can't think of anything that I want to throw my energy and my life into and not know what I'm going to get out of it. So surprisingly, a lot of parents go into parenthood just assuming what they're doing, uh, what their purpose is. And so one of the important conversations you can have at any point is to talk about what you want to get out of this parenting uh, experience that you're going to have. And it's in a couple components for your life for your relationship, for your kids, and then after you're not in that direct parenting window anymore, what do you want that to look like? So it's very important to talk in detail about what that is and work your way backwards into where you are now. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. One of the biggest stresses that we encounter is money. Money issues strain our family life, create stress in our relationships, and can provoke serious anxiety and depression, and many don't know where to turn to get relief. That's where The Darius Norman Show comes in. The Darius Norman Show airs daily on WTTA-FM 101.2 from 1 to 2 p.m. Darius Norman is a certified credit and financial counselor and author of Rewriting Financial Rules. It's his objective to empower others with educational tools and services to assist them in taking control of their financial and credit issues. Tune in to The Darius Norman Show on WTTA-FM 101.2, and you can follow him on Twitter at The Darius Norman Show. And we're back. You're listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. Today, uh, my guest is Dr. Alicia Rohr, and we are talking about uh, working with couples who have uh, discovered infidelity and have come to our office to seek help. So, you know, before the break, um, it, it's, it's kind of, there's some treacherous parts for sure with working with infidelity. And one of them that I, that I, uh, it's really difficult is how much information is too much information. And so, um, you know, my rule of thumb tends to be if this information is going to help you rebuild or help you reconnect, um, then yes. If it's just, um, if it's not that, then no, because some information can be even more difficult to come back from. Um, for instance, um, finding out the level of secrecy or knowing that, um, your partner was um, maybe did something in your home um, that can be information that can be hard to deal with. So um, that's always tricky. Um, and then on the other end, I always tell the, uh, the other spouse is that um, tell the truth, the absolute truth. And your answer has to be the same every time. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, on the, on the end of the, um, the, the spouse that stepped out, I often see from this standpoint, um, not wanting to tell the truth. Now, also to be completely human about it, feeling ashamed about some of the things they've done, which can make it difficult, um, and not really being in a position to forgive themselves for what they've done um, makes it difficult. And then um, engaging in some continued, I would say lying to try to protect their partner. Um, 
Right. So I don't want to tell you everything I did because I know this would be even more devastating at that point. Um, and so that from my standpoint, that gets tricky to navigate. And I try to keep that same principle in mind. Does it help you? Um, and if it doesn't, then maybe some of these details we don't need to air. Um, I'm also thinking about with the details, if they, as you just said, I'm not sure if I should share everything because they may not be able to handle it. Or could that be a deal breaker for my partner? That if mm -hmm. I share this, that I had sex with that person in our home, that that may be the boundary that that person says, okay, I'm done. Um, right. Versus I'll just say, I had sex. Yeah. So going to go back to, is this going to help or not? The truth will set you free. How do you yeah. know how much to share and how much um, to withhold? But I think it's, I think it goes back to, you were saying too, that shame and that guilt. So I think we have to do individual work too. Yes. In addition to the couple's work to work through the thoughts of shame and guilt. And um, I don't want to share this information because it may hurt the, hurt the relationship or not, not help in the sense of rebuilding, or I don't want to show this person, share this information because of embarrassment, because they may leave me. And I right. think that's the problem. That's what we have to really pay close attention to because um, share it and let that person say, I'll continue or I'll not continue. So I think that's a, that's a difficult um, line to stretch. It is because you never know when that tidbit of information that we can't move beyond is going to come out. Um, you know, and another thing I've tried to do over the last couple of years as I work with couples in infidelity um, is to try to um, take my moral judgment out of it and my, um, my perceptions out of it. Because I think there's a perception that, that we want to demonize people that um, step out on their relationships. Um, but one of the, I think we use a very, very similar framework that this person had a need. They may have known, they may not have known, but they went about getting it met. Mm -hmm. And because um, not, because we want to say, oh, people that cheat on their spouses are bad people. And, yeah. uh, and they're not. And even their partner wants to do that. And they may want to do, they especially want to do that in the beginning when they first find out. But, um, you know, we were talking about like, transitioning when you know healing's taking place. So how do you know when you're working with a couple, if what are the key things you're looking for to know that they're making good progress, if their healing is taking place? Uh, if their healing is taking place, the, the checking, um, those low cost and high cost behaviors that we talked about, checking the text messages or um, having to do a report, come home at a certain time, those things, that those are becoming less and less. That I don't, that need or that urge to, um, for, what am I looking for? That need or that desire to check to see if you're cheating or not, the secrecy. Let me check this to make sure to confirm or deny that. That becomes less. Um, how they're having conversations, they're, having con they're, they're talking about it from an externalized point of view, mm. as opposed to what happened to us, of that thing, that affair that happened. They're also talking about it in the sense of how much they've learned and grown from it, of, wow, you know, that person that I was at that point, um, I'm not that anymore. I'm not her. I'm not him anymore. Wait, 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 wait. You mean couples can talk about the affair as something they've learned from? You have to tell, you have to tell, talk more about that. 
Yes. So what and I, I like to do this with any relationship or any situation that ends reflecting on what have I learned from this situation? How am I a better person? So if we're looking at this affair, some people will say, well, you know, if this wasn't for this affair, um, we wouldn't be where we are right now. Yes, mm -hmm. that thing, but you're still able to reframe it as, wow, I've learned that um, I wasn't as vulnerable as I needed to be or that I kept a lot of secrets. So there was some stuff from my childhood that I didn't um, know that was still there or how I saw my parents having an affair. I didn't realize how much that affected me or the lack of coupled healthy relationships that are around, the people that I was around that was influencing me, the drugs or the alcohol, all of those vulnerable things that were going on that didn't realize that that was contributing to this need that I was trying to, to get met. So when couples are able to turn towards each other and have that conversation and say, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've learned from this situation, as we should do all situations, but definitely right. from from um, from the affair, from the infidelity. So that's a good sign that they're that they're healing. It's no longer in, in affecting them in that way. So they have the control of ooh that thing, and they're teaming up together to say that affair that that got it between us, not me and you. Mm. I, I like the way you describe that because that is one of the things I look for too. Um, and you know, it's. Um, from the therapy side of, the, of it, I can see, I'm looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. The couple can laugh about it, reflect on it, and um, talk about exactly what you talked about, the things that have helped them be better about it. Because there's so many, a lot with a lot of affairs, there's so many other underlying things that would have yeah. never been addressed had the affair not happened. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm always looking for those. <laughs> because, never um, just there. Yeah, it's you. It's usually not that simple. Or whatever. Yeah. It's usually not that simple. Um, and you know, I think we've talked about the um the aces before, the adverse childhood experiences. You've talked about trauma several times. Yeah. And I, I'm always surprised at um when we when we start digging deeper and working together as a couple on, um, on on the affair in that externalized way of how like some type of childhood trauma has played into it and it was never acknowledged. I was working with a couple um, a year or so ago, and um, the wife was, uh, um, she's having some really horrible pain, abdomen pain, and she thought something was wrong, but wasn't really sure, but she wasn't her normal, her regular self, but um, she was uh, suffering from uh, PCOS, um, a pretty severe case, and at kind of the height of, of her you know, her discomfort and pain, that's when her husband stepped out. Mm -hmm. And so what we discovered is that um, basically no one had ever been there for him like that. And that he didn't think he could handle being there for her. And um, I don't think it was just pure timing. Uh, and once and he ended up stepping out with somebody he worked with um, <laughs> and comforting that person. Yeah which was amazing. But then it became one of those things that I, I was really fearful was going to be a, a deal breaker because the wife is saying you could be there for that person, but you couldn't be there for me. Yeah. Um, I have a so, <laughs> oh, really? And yeah. so, yeah, it, it becomes really difficult to then help them pivot to uh, helping them see this as something that we're learning through this process. Yeah, um, the key word learn. How do we learn now to meet each other's needs, 
but meet myself, my own personal needs. But then how do we learn? We learn to meet our partner's needs. That if I'm ill, if I'm sick, then this is what I need from you. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to be there for you. I don't know how to bring you chicken noodle soup, but this is what you can do to soothe me. This is what I need to comfort. Or if I'm dealing with something, this is what you can do. Or even for her, if she's saying, well, I've had, in, my, in my couple case, where um, she was going through an illness and he, had an, and he had an affair, she's never had someone to be there for her. Um, and he's never, had, he's never had to take care of someone before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, well, how do I, you know, do this because this is un, this is unfamiliar territory. And then for her saying, okay, I don't know, um, am I not good enough? How come yeah. he's someone else? Or I've always had to take care of the people. How come someone can't take care of me? Or I'm tired of taking care of people. This is one extra person that I have to take care of, and I will run because yeah. it's too vulnerable. So now what do we learn from this situation that when the tough gets, when, the, when it gets tough, <laughs> you know, we, we have to have conversations about, hey, I know you just got diagnosed with cancer and I have no idea what to do, but I'm trying to learn. I'm going to support groups. I'm reading. I'm going to talk to you about what you need and let's work through this together. That's a vulnerable place to be in on the other side or even during of like, this is what I've learned. And now the next time you're going to get sick, you're going to get a cold, you're going to get a headache or something's going to happen, God forbid, but it is. Yeah. Then we learn to say, what do we learn from that situation and how do we apply that moving forward? Yeah. And that, that is, um, yeah, I'm always amazed at some of the, the narratives that come out of, of, of getting couples to that point. And, and that's one of the signs I look for as well. Um, and then I mean, you can, make your relationship stronger out of it. Well, we're up against uh, another commercial break. Um, today, we're talking, uh, in, treating infidelity from, uh, from a therapy standpoint. My guest today is Dr. Alicia Rohr, and we got that. <laughs> we'll be right back after this break. You've got mail. You've got mail. Uh, today's listener mail comes from Debbie. Uh, my son turned 21 a month ago, and he shared with us that he is gay. We did not raise him that way or believe in homosexuality. What should we do? Wow. I, that's uh, um, so much. <laughs> so, so, so much. The first thing I would say um, is to listen, to listen to their, their son, to gain an understanding of what it is that, that, um, that he's feeling, that he's understanding, that he's going through. Um, but listening, listening is a skill. So really listening, not listening to respond and, and say that, well, we didn't raise you that way, but really listen to, um, to what's going on. And then also learning. So there's a lot of aspects of learning and some psychoeducation that you may have to do so that you're not being offensive, so that you're being um, respectable, respectable in, or respectful. Um, in having that conversation, being supportive. And I think asking, what do you need from me? Right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they may know and sometimes they may not, but I think it's important to figure out what you need to do to be supportive. And then gathering around other, um, other people um, so that you can have this, this network of other supportive people that you can learn from, other parents and other caregivers so that you can um, learn from them and have some support. Um, the other thing I would say is to explore your own acceptance of self. So if I have a hard time accepting that my child is gay, then how much of part of that is coming from me? 
that mm. I have a hard time accepting parts of me. Hence, I have a hard time accepting that my that my child is gay because they are an extension of you. So if yeah. you don't accept them, do you accept yourself? That's a that, that's really good. Um, you know, I, I, this is an interesting list of mail for me because I see this from time to time in therapy. Um, and being and living in a place like Kentucky where it's fairly conservative, um, a lot now a lot of um, research has been done on adolescent LGBTQ teens, and it's um, you know they have way higher rates of depression, way more higher rates of uh, suicide attempts, um, and a lot of um, what's been what's been proven or shown is that the most important um, variable in terms of uh, well-being is family acceptance. So. I like all the points you made around learning, um, especially um, maybe in, engaged in some educational conversation with um, um, maybe what's more up-to-date inf information about sexuality. But, you know, of all these things, the only thing I, I, would, I agree with all of them, the only thing I would add is that at some point in your parenting journey, um, your child is not going to turn out in multiple dimensions the way you may want them to turn out. And so you have to be really honest around what you expected. And then you have to grieve that um, and be real honest about grieving that. Um, and until you can grieve that, you won't be able to develop, uh, develop a, a, a nurturing relationship going forward because you'd be holding on to, oh, I thought my son was straight and we're going to have a daughter-in-law and, you know, go down the list because there are a bunch of things you expected to happen that you may have been holding on to for a long time yeah. that, um, just may be different going forward. Um, but yeah, but you know, I, I keep in mind that um, from a sexuality standpoint, um, none of the strategies that typically we have, we've tried to use to make gay people straight have worked, um, whether that be bullying, extortion, um, pressuring, kicking, kicking your kids out, uh, forcing heterosexual concepts or ideas, none of those things have worked over yeah. time. And so, uh, so yeah, so I hope between the, the two of us, Debbie, um, you've got some insight into how to move forward. Because ultimately, uh, I, I suspect you want a long-term relationship with your son and uh, making him choose you or a sexuality um, is not going to work for him or you. Cool. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You, and today I'm bringing you a guest update. Last year, I interviewed Dennis Adams and his wife, Chris. They came on the show to talk about how they were teaming up to tackle Dennis's throat cancer together. In the last couple of months, Dennis's throat cancer has advanced and they are facing insurmountable medical bills and they've started a GoFundMe page. You can make a donation to their GoFundMe page by going to www.gofundme.com hashtag D-E-E-S-T-R-O-N-G. On a side note, Dennis and Chris are one of millions of families across the country who are using GoFundMe and other funding uh, sources to fill the gap between life-saving treatment and medications and their insurance. So in addition to considering giving to uh, the GoFundMe page for Dennis and Chris, I also ask you in November to vote. Your vote matters on this issue. And I'm not telling you who to vote for, but I am telling you that today it's former guests on my show and friends of mine. Tomorrow could be someone in your circle of loved ones. 
and we are back. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. Um, today's been a deep dive into therapy for infidelity. And as much as we've talked about, gosh, I, I don't know if there's so much more to talk about. But you know, one of the interesting things when it comes up for working, uh, comes of working with couples is um, couples have bad reasons to stay together, stay together after an affair. So what are some of the really bad reasons you see some of your couples uh, giving for staying together after infidelity? Um, I see them saying they want to stay together, bad reasons to stay together because of um, financial reasons, right? Mm. It's easier for us to stay together because we have all this debt and um, we don't really know how we're going to separate, you know, these assets and things like that. So the financial piece, one, because they have children. We want to keep this, you know, family together and intact and the image of um, what a family is supposed to look like. So we don't want to break up or in because of the family, because we have kids, which the other part of that is the kids probably know this is unhealthy. So that's not a good enough reason. We want to see the kids want to see healthy, functional parents if they can be there for them as opposed to having a person um, not available. So this is going into something else. So when you cheat or have an affair with your partner, you're also having an affair on your kids too, right? Because you're uh, I don't know. That's debatable. Um, all right. So if you follow a structural therapy model, then there's clearly a separation between the marriage relationship and the parental relationship. Exactly. So, um, so then if you follow that model, but is it really cheating on the kids too? Systemically, systemically, because if I cheated on my husband, right, and that's something that we have to deal with in marriage counseling, but can it not systemically impact our family relationship if I'm taking these trips and I'm doing these other things with my with this um, with this other person, and it's taking away time from my family time. So I skip out on my soccer practice or, mm. or soccer game because <laughs> I'm having an affair. Well, this is no longer just a marriage issue. This is a family issue. Okay. So from that standpoint, you know, you, we've stumbled onto something else. Um, One more thing. And how, the image that I'm portraying to my kids. So yes, they see me as a, as a, as a, as a, as a wife to their, to their father's, <laughs> you know, wife, to their father's wife, but I'm also the mother too. So how does that impact how the kids see a healthy relationship from their mom, from their father's wife. So now we're kind of getting into the tentacles yeah. that an affair can have. And so I have done uh, therapy with children who are children of a relationship where there's been infidelity. Um, now I brought that up about that because I specifically tell children, your parent didn't cheat on you. Um, what do you tell them? I say that you are not, if, if the parents are getting a divorce, then I say that you're not the cause for the divorce, mm -hmm. right? So if I say that you, that the parents didn't cheat on you, you said that's, that's what you're saying? That's what I tell, that's what I tell children because, okay, now if, now the, there've been a handful of situations where, um, now going back to the structural uh, look at relationships where the parents have involved the children in the infidelity, meaning that your dad's out with that other woman, or I've had the situation where 
Um, one parent has uh, informed the children that the affair happened against the will of the, the, the offending spouse in order to get the kids on her side. Um, and then that involves the children. And so parents definitely should not do that. Um, right. <laughs> so that's something we should have brought up earlier. Yeah. yeah. If you and in, in your relationship, if one of you if uh, have an affair, do not bring your children into it, no matter their age. So I get, I, I completely agree. And I can also see what you're saying that the parents that your mom and dad did not cheat on you, although you're going to be impacted by the affair. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. Can, you're definitely going to be affected by the affair and how you see coupled relationships or trust and all that impacting you once they become adults. Because yeah, because the conversation becomes, okay, so you're, let's, use the typical uh, scenario. Your dad cheated on your mom. Mm -hmm. He's still your dad. Exactly. Um, and, you know, how is, is that relationship, your father-daughter or father-son relationship, that's right. the relationship I want you to focus on. Um, exactly. Now, like you mentioned earlier, if he was uh, messing around with this other woman instead of being at your baseball game, right. you have a problem with that. It's going to affect you. Right. It's going to affect you. And it may affect how he has shown up for you. Exactly. But, um, but the affair itself, I just ask parents to not involve your kids if you don't have Not to involve it. I agree. I agree. I'm glad we're talking it out because it makes, I, uh, <laughs> good. <laughs> I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, that's where I'm coming from. My thing is that your decision ju didn't just affect you or your, your spouse, it affects everybody involved. Yeah. Right. But you can still maintain a healthy parent child relationship outside of that romantic relationship with your partner, with your spouse. Yes. Um, because um, while they're like you were saying, their relationship may end, the parental relationship will continue, continue. Um, most likely. And, and, and children become easy, um, easy to involve because they're available. They're really there. Who else are you going to talk to? But long term, it can really get in the way and damage that parental relationship with either parent, um, which gets kind of tough. So financial reasons, bad reasons to stay together because of the children. And the other thing about children is that um, they know when th stuff is wrong. Um, they also talk to each other. Um, mm -hmm. And so other, like my, my son came home a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, our neighbors around the corner are having difficulties. They might get a divorce. Now, first I was like, hey, um, <laughs> you shouldn't be repeating that. That's gossip. Exactly. Um, but they do talk. Kids talk. Mm -hmm. And so they, they know, especially if you have teenagers, they know. So what are some other bad reasons to stay together? Um, other bad reasons, um, your vulnerability. So your low self-esteem, low confidence, low self-worth. I don't feel good enough. I don't think I'll ever find somebody else. So I'll just stay. Mm -hmm. That it's not that bad, um, mm -hmm. but in, intense it is bad because you're not getting your emotional needs met. You deserve more. But I think a lot of times people feel that I don't, maybe I don't deserve it. Maybe I did deserve this happening to me, or I'm not going to find somebody else. Or all men or all women cheat, so I might as well just stay. So those negative cognitions or spots that, that come into our minds of um, why we should stay. Also fear, which it kind of goes back to that, the fear of um uh, rejection, fear of abandonment, fear of being by myself. Um, mm -hmm. I'll just stay because um, 
the, I don't know if the grass is greener. I don't know if I'll find somebody else. I don't know if, um, if it's, if it's worth it. So it kind of goes back to the deserving part. Also the, uh, as we were talking about the religion part, mm. um, and also this concept of sharing. Mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. And certain, um, so to the re- religious part, um, one of the things I found in my own research project was that, um, when couples were highly religious in the scale I used, um, and the wife cheated, husband stayed. And one of the, and I, I was not able to follow up because of, uh, the research requirements, but one of the interpretations I get from that was, uh, not kind of saving the woman from shame, religious shame and backlash. Um, because women, um, you know, the double standard applies and, um, for women in particular, um, especially in religious circles, um, they can be shunned, shamed, and et cetera, in religious circles. What do you do with serial cheaters? Like how many times is too many? This is, this is tricky. I always look at patterns or, or, to, or encourage people to look at patterns. And there's the pattern you have to, to pay attention to that. So the second time that person has stepped out, then I feel like that part could be too many. I'm also thinking about, are they learning from their mistakes? So they're understanding why they had an affair and what can they do to, to prevent it from happening again? So hmm. first time you have an affair, this is why it's kind of hard to answer that, the serial, the serial you know, cheaters, because the first time is because of the illness. The second time was because I have a sexual addiction. The third time could be because you know, I was bored or needed attention. It could be different phases or now that I'm an empty nester. And so it's so many, you know, things mm. that come up. So one time is too many. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we also know that there's different ways that people, you know, step outside their relationship more than just physical. That's so true. I think it's about forgiveness too. Yeah, that's a tough one to answer. Well, um, I hate to say it, but Gosh, we didn't get to everything we want to talk about working with infidelity, which um, there's so much more. Um, you know, uh, this is a topic that's, um, you know, judging by our client loads, um, we work with this a lot. So um, it's a common thing couples deal with. Um, it is often a deal breaker. It doesn't have to be a, deal, be a deal breaker. And if I'm being completely transparent from therapist to therapist, um, there are a good number of couples that do better without therapy. Or any other pointers you would give to couples? Um, yeah, someone in the same line. Um, I've had couples say before that they went to a therapist and uh, it was a Christian, a Christian counselor, and um, they were the, the counselor was really kind of projecting their own views about you know stay together because of this and the shame and the shun that was happening. It wasn't helpful for them because it was more of a feeling condemned for what they were doing as opposed to the therapist being non judging. So. Yeah. Um, really be able to, to, um, to ask the questions or don't be afraid to ask your, your therapist questions and kind of see their viewpoints on certain things. And, um, before you continue on with them, because that could essentially impact it. Yeah. Fit is really important. So definitely do your homework. Well, you know, uh, with all the couples dealing with, uh, relational issues and infidelity, I hope our discussion today was eye opening and helpful. Um, Once again, you've been listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. Um, My guest today is Dr. Alicia Rohr of Rohr Psychotherapy and Consulting Services in Marietta, Georgia. 
If you're the, in the Atlanta metro area, you can find her on the web or reach her at 770-742-8842. And how about your, uh, are you on social media? I am. I'm on, on Instagram, um, Dr. Alicia Ward, LMFT, and Twitter, and then also on Facebook, Ward Psychotherapy and Consulting Services. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And um, gosh, uh, there's stuff we didn't get to. Um, you've, <laughs> you've been listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. We'll be back next week. If you have a relationship therapy or personal growth question you would like answered on the air, Email me at toby at paradigmradioshow.com. You can find archive shows and additional details about guests of the show at the show's website, www.paradigmradioshow.com. You can follow weekly one-minute insight posts on the show's Instagram and Twitter feed at Paradigm Radio Show. For archived episodes, you can find episodes wherever you subscribe to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You is brought to you by Jenkins Professional Services and Hype Media Global. Thank you for tuning into Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You with Toby Jenkins. Join us again.